Okay, good morning. We're starting a five-part series in the book of Jonah this morning, and uh, the title for this series is Because Life's Not Fair. As we go through the story of Jonah, we'll see lots of things where there's a sense of life not being fair. And this morning, I want to talk about Jonah and, and Jesus. So if you want to grab a Bible, and it's on page 540, Jonah is one of what we call the minor prophets, who are the, the short books at the end of the Old Testament, and it's always difficult to find the right prophet. So page 540 in these Bibles is the story of Jonah, and we're going to read, it's only a short book, but just, we're going to read the first chapter today and, and think about that. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. But I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, what is Jonah? We might think it's a, a, a kid's story because, because of the whale. This is a, a story that often gets told in Sunday school and stuff, Jonah and the whale. There's a problem, of course, there that it's not a whale, it's described as a fish. So we're wrong right from the get-go there. But we might think of it as a kid's story. You've got a big fish, he swallows a man. Surely that's got to be kind of a fairy story that's going on here. Or maybe it's um, something which is, which is more than a kind of a children's story, more than a fairy story. But maybe it's, it's still fictional. Maybe the book of Jonah is a, is a carefully crafted parable, which isn't actually meant to be taken as literally true, but is meant to teach us some things which are true. Um, because surely it couldn't be true that a man gets swallowed by a big fish. 
But it's not actually quite so simple as that because of what the Bible tells us about Jonah. In um, 2 Kings 14, we're told this, Jeroboam restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. Now, the book of Kings is a historical record, and Jeroboam was an actual king, and Gath-Hefer is an actual place. So it would seem really odd if Jonah is introduced in this historical record, if actually he's a fictitious character. If Jonah the prophet didn't really exist, it would be really odd to stick him into this historical record because Kings records historical stuff. Even more significant than that, though, is what Jesus says. In uh, Matthew 12, Jesus speaks about Jonah as if Jonah is a historical figure. Jesus said, uh, so some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgments with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgments with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, Jesus here seems to be talking about Jonah as a historical figure. He doesn't seem to be using Jonah as a kind of a a uh, fictitious type. So if I was to talk about Robin Hood as an example this morning, those of us who are from the UK and have grown up in stories of Robin Hood and Sherrod Forrest and Lincoln Green and all that kind of stuff, we'd know what we're talking about. We'd know the kind of story. We'd know what that story represents. We'd know that it's not really meant to be real. We've got some idea that perhaps there was somebody a bit like Robin Hood once. We can't say there was this person who was Robin Hood, but we can use Robin Hood as a kind of an example of a kind of person who does certain kinds of things. But Jesus doesn't seem to be talking about Jonah in that kind of way because of the other people he talks about in the same breath. So he talks about Solomon. And Solomon was a real person, a real king who ruled Israel. He talks about the queen of the south or the queen of Sheba who visited Solomon, a real woman. He talks about Nineveh, which is a real city. So he's talking about real people and real places. And he talks about Jonah in that context. So was Jesus misguided or actually was... Jesus right? What's the story of Jonah and Jesus? I think the Bible would push us towards a place which would say, look, this really happened. This isn't just a children's story. This isn't a, just a parable. This isn't a kind of a Robin Hood type story. This really happens. And that might throw up, or does throw up, all kinds of issues for us as contemporary Western people. I was at a, at a party on Friday night and got into a great conversation with somebody there about faith, about God, about belief. And at one point in the conversation, she asked me, well, do you believe that Moses parted the Red Sea? Do you believe in those kind of miracles? And I said, well, I'm speaking about Jonah on Sunday. I'm talking about he was swallowed by a great fish. And what do you do with that? And we had a great conversation about miracles and the reality of faith. And if there is a God, what God can do. What do we do with these kind of stories? Now, I think this, this does matter, wh how you, whether you believe Jonah is literally true or not. It, it matters because of the way that Jesus uses the story. Because Jesus talks about Jonah, and he talks about himself, and he makes that comparison. Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish, I'm going to be three days in the earth. And of course, we know that points to Jesus' time in the tomb after his death, before his resurrection. So, 
I want to say I believe this story. I think it's true. It seems extraordinary to us, but I'm going to take it as read that Jonah really was on a boat, caught in the storm, got chucked overboard, swallowed by a big fish, spat out. But even if you can't believe that this is literally true, there is truth for you here. And actually the truth of the story of Jonah and what it points to is it's more extraordinary and it's more wonderful than being swallowed by a big fish. We focus on the fish, but the story is about so much more than the fish. So what truth does the story of Jonah reveal? What are we going to see over the next few weeks? So one of the things that the story of Jonah does is it holds up a mirror to humanity. It helps us to see what we are actually like as human beings. But it also holds up something of a picture of God and reveals something of God's character and God's priorities. And the particular themes which come through in this story are God's grace and God's sovereignty and God's passion for mission that the peoples of the earth should come to know him. And so we're going to be thinking about grace and sovereignty and mission. Something else about this story is that it's funny. It's a funny book. And if you don't see the humor in it, you're going to miss something of what it's about. And a lot of the humor is the way in which God exposes Jonah's pomposity. Jonah is a pompous man, and God exposes his pomposity. And in doing that, also reveals ours. This is a story which has real application to us. So let's break the story down a little bit and see what's going on. The first thing that happens is that God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. This is a picture of uh, a restored gateway in Nineveh. And the Assyrian Empire was the dominant regional power at the time, and it was the enemy of Israel. The people of Israel were enemies of the Assyrians, and the Assyrians were infamously brutal. They conquered territory by military conquest, but a large part of their policy was intimidation. They made themselves as deliberately horrific as possible to intimidate people and just to kind of, we won't even bother to fight you, we'll just give in before the fighting starts because we know if we fight you and we lose, how horrific it's going to be. Let me give you an example. In the annals of Asher Nasser Apli II, who was king of Nineveh about 100 years before Jonah, we read about his military tactics. He says this, By the command of Asher and the goddess Ishtar, the great gods of my lords, I moved out of the city of Nineveh, I approached the city Suru. All of the radiance of Asher, my lord, overwhelmed them. The nobles and elders of the city came out to me to save their lives. I erected a pile in front of his gate. I flayed as many nobles as had rebelled against me and draped their skins over the pile. Some I spread out within the pile, some I erected on stakes upon the pile, and some I placed on stakes around about the pile. I flayed many through my land and draped their skins over the walls. I brought Aya Yababa, ruler of Suru, to Nineveh, flayed him, and draped his skin over the wall of Nineveh. So you can imagine this brutal Assyrian army. You capture people, you skin them alive, you hang their skins over the walls. Imagine that, that gate in Nineveh with human skins hanging over it as a sign of intimidation. Now, if the Assyrians are coming, you think, we don't want to lose against these guys, because if we do, they're going to skin us alive and hang our skins over the walls, and they're going to stick us on spikes around the city. So they were a horrifically, intentionally brutal people in order to intimidate, in order to conquer. And so who can blame Jonah for not wanting to go to Nineveh? 
It's not the place you want to go to. And you can understand Jonah's response being, don't rescue Nineveh, God, destroy it. These are hideous people, destroy them. It's a bit like God saying to one of us this morning, I want you to go to Iraq now. I want you to go to ISIS. God, I don't want to go. God, destroy ISIS. I don't want to go to them, destroy them. And for Jonah, it's like that. I don't want to go to Nineveh, destroy Nineveh. It's just not fair, God. It's not fair. How can you tell me to go to Nineveh? Jonah hated the Ninevites. And he had good reason to. They were evil. The thing is that God knew the evil of the Ninevites even better than Jonah did. See there in verse 2, God says to Jonah, their evil has come up before me. And who do you think has a better grasp of the evils of the world? Us or God? We can look at stuff happening in the world and we can sometimes be overwhelmed by the evil. I mean, this week we've seen shocking things. Joe Cox, the MP, murdered. We could see evil and we're very aware of evil things happening. But who has a better idea of evil, us or God? God sees it all. He sees it in its completeness. But God wants to give Nineveh the opportunity to repent. And in this we see God's grace and God's heart for mission. God's grace is that he is giving an opportunity even to the Assyrians to repent. And he's sending Jonah on mission so they might hear the voice of God and have opportunity to repent. So there's a lesson for us that we need to be careful not to despise those whom God is calling to repentance. It's easy for us to start despising people and forget that we're called to mission. And that's what happened to Jonah. He despised the Ninevites. He forgot that he was called to mission. We can do the same. That could even happen with some of the stuff, some of the debates around the EU referendum coming up this week. We can start to despise certain people and forget actually we're called to mission. We're called to the nations of the world. We shouldn't be like Jonah. We need to respond to God's grace. So God calls Jonah to Nineveh, but next part of the story is that Jonah runs. And he runs as far as he can. Now, um, Nineveh was hundreds of miles to the east of Gath Hefer, where Jonah came from in modern-day Iraq. Uh, we don't know where Tarshish is. We think it's in the western Mediterranean. There's some suggestion that Tarshish might actually be close to where Gibraltar is at the tip of Spain. So the point is that Jonah tried to get as far away from where God was sending him as he should. He was meant to go on a land journey a few hundred miles to Nineveh. Instead, he gets in a boat to go as far in the opposite direction as he possibly can. And that's laughable, trying to outrun God. I mean, how do you outrun God? God encompasses the earth. How do you outrun God? But don't we do that all the time? Like Jonah, we kind of pay our fare and go our own way. We make my plans, do my thing, live my way. And what happens to Jonah is a direct assault upon that notion of personal autonomy and freedom. What we see in this story is that God is sovereign and God does exactly what he wants. Now we have real choices. Jonah had a choice which way he was going to go. He made his choice. Rather than going to Nineveh, he got on a boat. We have real choices, but everything in the end is done according to God's will. God is sovereign. And we might say in response to that, like Jonah did, well, that's not fair, God. I don't want to be over there. I want to be over here. I don't want to do that thing. I want to do this thing. 
And what Jonah finds is that it's better to be stuck in the belly of a stinking fish going the right way than on a cruise liner going the wrong way. God is sovereign, and we can't run from him. Next thing that happens is that God sends a storm. God uses a storm to get Jonah's attention, to get Jonah to where he wants him to be. And again, we might say, well, that's not fair. And we might say, well, surely God wouldn't even do that. God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't send a storm into somebody's life to, because they're going in the wrong direction. But God just did. And God can do whatever he likes to get our attention. There's a, a kind of a current of teaching bubbling around at the moment which says that God never does anything to us which we might find unpleasant. Nothing unpleasant can come from God. Now, God sent a storm to Jonah to interrupt his rebellion when he should have been going that way and was going this way. God sends a storm. God can do whatever he likes to get our attention. He's sovereign, not us. And it's not fair. Even worse is that it wasn't just Jonah who was affected. These sailors who had nothing to do with the story, they get affected. They're terrified. They're chucking their cargo over the side of the boat. They're losing money out of this. They're affected by it. But there are worse things than financial loss or threat of death. Running from God is worse than financial loss or the threat of death. God sends the storm. And actually, the storm is God's mercy. And we can see mercy running throughout this story as well. We can see it in the sailors themselves. Now, the sailors are pagans. They've got no knowledge of the real God, of the true living God. They've got their own personal gods. You can see that when they're caught in the storm. They all pray to their own gods from the place that they each come from. These, these aren't fearers of the living God, yet they have mercy upon Jonah. They're reluctant to throw him into the sea. And that's quite amazing. I think if I was a superstitious sailor, as these guys often are, casting lots, let's find out who's the problem here, and the lot falls to Jonah, I think I wouldn't have probably hesitated. I would have kicked Jonah over the side as quick as I could. But these guys have more mercy than that. They, think they know Jonah's the problem, uh, but they don't throw him straight overboard. They want to save his life. They're reluctant to throw him into the sea. And it's not fair that they're caught up in it. It wasn't a problem they'd gone looking for. It was Jonah's doing. It's a bit like the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told, that the Good Samaritan, that it wasn't fair that he got caught up in this deal of this injured Jewish man on the road, and he's the one who has to look after him, and he's the one who pays for his treatment and all the rest. But God uses even pagans to be merciful. God, in his mercy, allows these sailors to be merciful to Jonah. And mercy is godly. Even when it's pagan, mercy is godly. We see something more here than the mercy of the sailors. We see God's mercy. That through this, through the storm, through the loss they experience, God makes himself known to the sailors. What they find is that there's a God who's not just a local God. He's not just like one of their gods, the ones they cry out to, their personal God they each have, the personal gods we might have. No, but there is a God who is Lord of all. And the sailors see this, and they're brought to worship the true and living God. And so it's God's mercy that Jonah's rebellion is a means of these sailors coming to know the real God. There's a storm, there's loss, but there's mercy. They come to know the true and the living God. And so we see again how God's sovereignty works throughout this story. He's in charge. He knows what he's doing. We see God's grace 
that he allows these pagan sailors to come to know him and worship him. And there's mission that those who are not part of the people of God are in some way joined to the people of God because of what happens. And then there's the rescue that God appoints or provides a fish. Now, this isn't the kind of rescue probably that any of us would go looking for. You're caught in a storm, life's in danger, you want rescue, but you want a helicopter to come swooping down, or a lifeboat to come swooping in, or Superman to come and rescue you. You don't think about a fish, a great big fish to come and swallow you up. And this for us, as I said at the beginning, is where we tend to get stuck with our modern Western minds. And we immediately start asking these kind of questions. Well, what is this fish? What kind of species was the fish? Is it possible for somebody to be swallowed by a fish? Is there a fish big enough to swallow a man and for that man to stay alive in it for three days? Is this possible? Was it a fish or was it actually a whale? And did the people of this era understand the difference between fish and whales? Did they distinguish between mammals and non-mammals? And we get immediately into all those kind of questions. What is this fish? That's not really the point. The story isn't interested in these details. The story doesn't say the fish was this kind of fish. It was this species. It was this variety. And it was so big. No, the story just says God provided a fish which swallowed Jonah. God is sovereign and God is merciful and God wants people to know him and God is going to get Jonah to Nineveh no matter what. And that is the point of the story. The fish isn't the point. The point is that Jonah needs to get to Nineveh. That's what we need to see. Now, this talk is about Jonah and Jesus. That's Jonah. Let's look at Jesus. Turn over to Luke chapter 8. That's on page 609. And there's a story here about Jesus which has remarkable parallels with the story of Jonah. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. It says this. One day Jesus got into a boat with his his disciples and he said to them, let us go across the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Now, the contrast between Jonah and Jesus is very obvious, very striking. Let's look at some of the parallels. First, Jonah flees from God, but Jesus is always obedient to his Father. Jonah resisted the mission of God. Jesus always embraced it. Jonah was called from Gethhefer to go to this intimidating city of Nineveh. Jesus came from the glory of heaven to come to the squalor of earth that we might be rescued. Jonah fled from God. Jesus was obedient to his heavenly Father. Jonah and Jesus were both caught in storms. You might say, well, God wouldn't use a storm. God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't send storms into people's lives. He just did. He did with Jonah, and he did with his son Jesus. And we can see from this that Jesus experienced the storminess of life. That's literally what happens here, that Jesus is caught in a storm, in a life-threatening situation, a terrifying situation. Jesus experienced the storminess of life. Jonah and Jesus 
both experience storms, and we experience storms. And when we experience storms in our lives, we can look to Jesus, the one himself who experienced and passed through storms. And Jonah and Jesus weren't alone in their respective boats. No, they were with sailors and Jesus with his disciples. And the sailors were afraid and the disciples were afraid. And that's understandable because storms are scary. If you're caught in a boat out in the sea in a storm, you feel vulnerable. And I guess especially in this era where there wasn't the same kind of safety, there wasn't the same kind of technology, there wasn't the RNLI to come and rescue you if you got into trouble. If you got in trouble in the storm, in a boat, in the, in the sea, you were on your own with no one to help you. You just had to see what would happen. You were literally in the lap of the gods. And as we see in this human limitations that neither the sailors nor the disciples are competent to save themselves. They were all experienced sailors. The sailors were Jonah. They were experienced seamen. They were traders. They put to sea all the time. The disciples were fishermen. They were used to being on the water every day. They were experienced sailors. They knew the sea and they knew their boat, but in the face of a storm, they were not competent to save themselves and they were afraid. And there are things which happen to us in our lives where we can feel the same, where we can suddenly realize the, our competence has come to an end. But there's stuff that comes our way which is frightening where I can't in myself do anything about this. There's nothing I can do to rescue myself here. And that's a place which the sailors were in, and it's a place which the disciples were in. And that's a scary place to be in. They were afraid, and they cried out. And while this was going on, both Jonah and Jesus were asleep. And that's a really interesting kind of little sidebar to this, these two stories, and something to ponder on. And we're not told why they were asleep and what's going on, but it's really interesting that both Jonah went down into the ship, and he was, the storm was raging, but he was asleep. I mean, how does that happen? And Jesus was in this storm, but he was asleep. Well, how does that happen? A storm was raging. How do you stay asleep? But both Jonah and Jesus were asleep in the midst of this terrifying storm where competent sailors thought they were going to lose their lives. Jonah and Jesus sleeping like babies. Now, why is that? Maybe it's the soporific qualities of a rocking boat, but I think there's a a big difference between the soporific qualities of a gently rocking boat and the boat that's pitching up and down in a terrifying storm. Why are they asleep? I wonder if it's something to do with both Jesus and Jonah just, just being kind of bone-achingly tired. I wonder if Jonah was emotionally kind of spent. He's running from God. He's God's man. He's a prophet. And God has said, go here. And he's deliberately chosen to go another way. And that actually is exhausting. That's emotion. That's spiritually exhausting. If you, if you run from God, it's exhausting. It's a time in my life when I was an 18-year-old. I, a bit like Jonah, I was deliberately running from God. And that involves some geographical travel as well, as well as a metaphorical travel. And it's just exhausting. It's emotionally and spiritually exhausting. So I, I think probably Jonah, my hunch is that Jonah was asleep just because he was tired out because he was rebelling. And it just kind of collapsed. Now Jesus, of course, was completely obedient to his father. He's not running from God. He's embracing the will of God. But I wonder if Jesus was just spiritually tired from ministry. He'd 
He was working hard. He was ministering to others. He was healing the sick. He was preaching the gospel. He was facing opposition. And he said to his disciples, let's get on this boat. And I wonder if just Jesus was spiritually tired. And so Jesus, spiritually tired, is asleep. And we're reminded here of the humanity of Christ. Jesus, who we worship as God, but also fully man. We're reminded of his humanity. Jesus was tired out. And even in the storm, he was so exhausted, he slept. Jesus was tired from service to God. Jonah was tired out by disobedience against God. And Jonah, in a sense, is kind of out of control. But Jesus is in complete control even when he sleeps. And we see that both Jonah and Jesus knew who they were. When the captain goes and gets hold of Jonah and shakes him out of bed and says, come on, what are you doing? Come and pray. He says, who are you? Why have you brought this problem upon us? And Jonah knows who he is. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a servant of the living God. This is who I am. And this is why this has happened. Who is Jesus? Jesus knew who he was, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, who'd come to rescue us all. And if God's call is upon you, it's undeniable. God's call was upon Jonah, and he couldn't deny it. He, it's interesting, he doesn't even try and lie. He doesn't say, I don't know what's going on. I've got no idea what's happening. I don't know why this storm. I'm, who, I'm nobody. I'm just a guy from Gath Hefer. I've got no, don't ask me. But no, he knows who he is. I'm a Hebrew, a servant of the living God. If God's call is on you, it's undeniable. You can't run from God. But Jonah tried to run from God's presence while Jesus is God's presence. There's a question for us all today. What are we doing? Are we, where are we at the moment? Are we running to or running from? It's an extraordinary way it describes it in the story of Jonah. It says it twice, that he, he was trying to run from the presence of God. He's a prophet. Prophets are meant to dwell in the presence of God, to speak the words of God, but he's trying to run away from the presence of God. What a terrible thing to do, to run away from the presence of God. What we want to do is to run into the presence of God. And Jesus is the one who brings us into God's presence. He is God's presence. And as he pours out his Holy Spirit on the church, we experience the presence of God so that we know God, that we walk with him and live with him, not run from him, what are you doing today? Are you running from God or running to God? Let's run to the presence of God. Let's seek the presence of God given to us in Jesus Christ. The next parallel is that both Jonah and Jesus were sacrificed. Jonah, in the end, gets thrown into the sea reluctantly. These merciful sailors don't want to do it, but he says, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. This is the only way out. You've got to sacrifice me. They chuck him into the sea, and the storm stops. Jonah was killed in order to save the sailors, but of course he was alive because a fish was provided. Jesus went to the cross to save the world. Jonah's sacrifice was really a kind of an act of repentance for his disobedience. I've disobeyed God. I've not gone where I was meant to be. I'm running from the presence of God. An act of repentance was to be thrown into the sea in order that these innocent sailors might be saved. Jesus, Jesus, his sacrifice was the obedience of a blameless life. Jesus, who lived perfectly, who had no sin, no taint about him, went to the cross as a perfect sacrifice, as a complete sacrifice, not to save a ship full of sailors, but to save men and women throughout the earth. 
And then Jonah was in the fish for three days, and Christ was in the tomb for three days. This is what Jesus predicted when he talked about Jonah. He said, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah passed through death in order to bring the message of life to Nineveh. Jesus passed through death so that life might come to all. When the storm ceased, both the sailors and the disciples were very afraid. And again, this is fascinating. They were terrified during the storm. The storm was frightening, but they were more afraid when the, when the storm stopped <laughs> because they saw the power of God. And that's terrifying. The one we come to is powerful. And Jesus' questions to his disciples, his terrified disciples, is this, where is your faith? Where is your faith? God is powerful. He can even calm the storm. Now, is it just coincidence that there are all these parallels between Jesus and Jonah? Of course, the answer to that is no. Jonah had a mission he was called to right there, right then. Go to Nineveh, preach them, give them the opportunity to repent. But the story is more than that. That Jonah also points us towards one who is greater and has a greater mission. Jonah's mission to Nineveh was a, a sign, a foretaste of God's plans for the nations. That one was coming, Jesus was coming, the Messiah was coming, that all might know the goodness of God. Jonah points to Jesus. Jonah, who rebelled against God, but then was rescued by God's grace and mercy. Jonah, who was three days in the fish. Jonah, who then went to Nineveh and preaches to Nineveh that Nineveh might know the mercy of God, points to Jesus the Savior, the one who is going to die and be in the grave for three days and be raised to eternal life, that all the nations might know the goodness of God. And so what we see in the story of Jonah is sovereignty and grace and mission. And we see those things then perfected in Christ Jesus. We see the sovereignty of God. But we're not to run from him. If you are a follower of Jesus, but you're in that place where you can just feel yourself beginning to kind of slide away from the presence of God. Don't do it. Don't run from God. If you're an unbeliever, you don't yet know Jesus. Don't don't run from him. Run to him. Run to his embrace. We see in this story such incredible grace that God doesn't allow Jonah to drown. And he doesn't allow these, sol- these sailors to drown or the disciples to drown. And he has mercy even on pe- people as hideous as the Assyrians in Nineveh. And so let us lean into God's grace again today. If God could have grace upon Jonah... And if God could have grace towards these pagan sailors, and if God could have grace even towards the people of Nineveh, there is grace for us. And there's mission that we're called to preach the gospel to all nations. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He wanted to stay at home with his own people. His people were the ones he felt needed to hear the word of God, who deserved to hear the word of God. He didn't want to go to these hideous Assyrians in Nineveh, but he was called to go that God's sovereignty and God's grace might be displayed. 
And we also are called to mission to the nations. We're called to embrace all kinds of people wherever they might be and proclaim to them the goodness, the mercy, the sovereignty, the grace of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the story of Jonah and of Jesus. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is the one who has conquered all the enemies, who's defeated the giants, who defeated death, and has brought us into an experience of his love, his grace, his mercy, and power. Let's just uh, wait on the Lord for a, a few moments. Let's just allow the word of God to sink into our hearts and see what God is saying to each one of us personally this morning about this. Jesus, I pray for us this morning. I would pray for those who need to be reminded of your sovereign power, that you are the one who does as you will. I pray for those who perhaps are experiencing storms of life, maybe in a place of fear. They'll be able to turn to you and look to you as the one who is sovereign and the one who is powerful and trust in you. So I pray that we would... Lean again into your amazing grace to us. Thank you that you have been gracious to us, that we did not deserve your rescue. We did not deserve to come into a knowledge of you. But in your mercy, you reach out. You keep reaching out. You reach out to those sailors. You reach out to Nineveh. You reached out to Jonah. I think you've reached out to us. I pray we would again receive your grace, the amazing mercy of God. And Lord, would you remind us again and propel us out into, into mission. Thank you that you've given us something good to share, good news to tell. Lord, keep us from being like Jonah, who, who didn't want to tell people, wanted to keep it to himself. I pray, Lord, that you guard our hearts, keep us from becoming dismissive of people, individuals or groups of people that we don't naturally like or find intimidating. Lord, give us... By your grace, hearts which are open to others to proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ. Even to those who we might think, like the, as Jonah must have felt about the Ninevites, there's no chance that these people can be reached with the grace of God. Lord, let us have hearts which are open. Jesus is yours was. Think of what you experienced. You left heaven's glory to come to earth in order to reach us. I pray that in your mercy and your grace to us, we might speak to others about you, whoever they are and wherever they're from. Lord, thank you for this story of sovereignty and grace and mission. Thank you you've pulled us up in it. Thank you, Jesus, that you've allowed us to see you, allowed us to come into your presence. And Lord, we don't want to run from your presence. We want to run into it. We want to run into the presence of God. Know your nearness to us and your welcome of us. Bless your name, Jesus. Amen.